1: Possibly from northern Italy and Veneto, and growing under a variety of different names from northern to mid-Italy, Verdicchio has made itself at home in the Marche. In the Marche, Verdicchio can have a unique symbiosis with Malvasia and Trebbiano, where the grapes in Trio can create a unique, mysterious, and age-worthy wine. It can also be bottled on its own, and can be truly ethereal with some age. Verdicchio has been confused with Trebbiano often in the past, but especially with DNA profiling, the story of Verdicchio is becoming ever clearer. In fact, Verdicchio's past helps clarify some of the passions and motivations of people living in Italy in the 15th and 16th centuries. Verdicchio moved around north and central Italy during a few centuries when the Italian peninsula suffered multiple plague outbreaks. Some outbreaks would be small, hitting a few hundred people in a localized area. And when an outbreak happened, little spots, lentil-like spots, would show up on the skin, and then lymph nodes would swell, and rarely would anyone live beyond the fifth day of catching the disease. Usually, if one person in the house contracted the plague, everyone else in the house would catch it and die around the same time. It was just devastating. Outbreaks swept across Europe, leaving hundreds of thousands dead in the wake. In this time of uncertainty, a time when you're constantly reminded of humankind's mortality, and a time when entire populations searched for a greater meaning in it all, some of the greatest art was born. During one of the most devastating plague outbreaks in the mid-1300s, called the Black Death Pandemic, that claimed millions of lives, uh, during this time, Giovanni Boccaccio wrote The Decameron. This book is set just outside of Florence, in a deserted villa, during a plague outbreak. The ten characters in the book hunker down outside the city to ride out the plague. The villa was likely empty because its owners probably were plague victims, and its new inhabitants told stories to wait out the Florentine epidemic and hopefully avoid infection to save their own lives. The basic premise of the story, that we all probably read in high school, highlights some of the social unrest that motivated people in the 1300s to 1600s during plague outbreaks. People wanted to leave cities during the outbreak. Empty houses and villas were there for the taking. People were dying left and right, and this caused many people to act differently than they may have in non-plague times, acting impulsively, living in the moment. But perhaps most tellingly, as the book's frame story shows, many people just wanted to move out of urban plague zones and take cover in less populated areas. In the 1300s through the 1600s on the Italian peninsula, many migrations of people, and the grapes they took with them, were motivated by plague outbreaks. From 1576 through 1577 in Milan, for example, the city recorded over 17,000 plague deaths and this same plague outbreak in Venice was responsible for fifty to 60,000 deaths. I mean, just imagine that much of a city's population just being wiped out within a year. The outbreak from 1576 to 77 was one of the worst to hit Italy since the Black Death pandemic in the 1300s. A doctor in the Marche, Marino Masucci, who wrote about the 1576 plague, described a pandemic that swept through cities. He distinguished between different types of sicknesses that were often lumped into one disease by doctors. And Masucci himself may have been taking refuge. He formerly practiced in Padua, then stayed in the Marque during the outbreak. But he also may have been motivated to return to his home of Jezi after studying and practicing in the north. It was just before this plague outbreak that Masucci described, when Verdicchio was first mentioned in the historic records of the Marque. Who was the first person to bring Verdigio to the Marque? And when they planted their cuttings in the Marque, was the vineyard a memorial to an abandoned past, a dead past? Did the vines remind them of a better plague-free time from their home in the north? When the motivation to move, to move for your life, is so strong that you pack up for good, move your family, and think to bring some vines with you for the long haul, the grapevines, they become more than just a food source. They become a symbol of identity. It's likely that Verdicchio traveled across various parts of Italy, likely moving north to south during the social unrest caused by the plague across the four centuries from the 14th through 17th centuries. In fact, as we use genetics to trace Verdicchio's path across Italy, Verdicchio helps tell a larger story of the human condition during a time of great strain. In Verdicchio, you'll not only find great wine, you'll find hints of the indelible human spirit.
0: I talk to winemakers all the time. And something they tell me is that oxygen management is a key to aging wine. Finding the right balance is crucial and that's why i recommend dm's revolutionary cork closures. with dm corks, winemakers can achieve precisely controlled oxygen management after a bottle leaves the winery, ensuring a wine that matures gracefully and reaches its full potential. with over 2 billion dm corks sold each year, it's clear that winemakers worldwide trust dm for consistent results. And DM has recently expanded the permeability options for their popular DM10 and DM30 closures, providing winemakers with even more flexibility to choose a cork that will guarantee the kind of wine life they envision. Banish surprise dud bottles and embrace DM closures. Your customers will thank you. In North America, DM products are exclusively distributed by G3 Enterprises. Ready to ensure the lifespan of your wines? Go to dm-closures.com forward slash I-D-T-T to learn more. That's D-I-A-M dash closures with an S dot com forward slash I-D-T-T for more information. Corrado Torre of La Destessa in the Marche of Italy. Hello, sir. How are you?
2: Good. Thank you.
0: Nice to have you here. So your first vintage at La Destessa was in 2000.
2: Yes. My first harvest, 99, but I was still living in Milan. And then we moved in uh, March 2000. My first vintage was 2000. And what
0: brought about that move? Why did you decide to move from the city to the country?
2: It's a good question. (laughs) I grew up in in Milan, and I I studied there, and I graduated in economics. So not winemaking? No, 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 absolutely not. And I began to work in a bank, an international bank. And then this was the, the end of the 90s. So it was the period of... The boom in the Nasdaq, in all the finance system was really booming. And everybody was asking for stock options, and it was a very crazy world. And my family, they were from, from the market region. So they owned these small pieces of land. But my father was an engineer, so he left the region in the 60s and 70s. And so we grew up in in Milano, me and my brother. And this land was rent to farmers that took half of the production working in the fields. So at that period, in the end of the 90s, I thought that could be uh, like a dream to change my life and try to do this experience. So going back to my father's land. And uh, and try. I was, I was already, you know, not an expert, but you know, a lover of wines. And so, with Valeria, my wife, we decided to change our life. So, what was your first move when you arrived in the Marque? The idea was at the beginning was not really to to make wine, but was to to change our life. So we went to live in this house that was. uh, it was not a ruin, but there weren't people living there since 20 years. So we began to restore a little bit the house, and we opened a small uh, bed and breakfast, like a farm oil day. So we began with that, and, and of course with the, with the wine. But we only had one hectare at the moment, the vineyard that my father planted in 1980.
0: And it was Verdigio.
2: Yeah, because Cooper-Montana is, is called uh, so-called the capital of Verdicchio. So 90% of comes from Verdicchio grape.
0: So that's a nice head start, though, in the fact that you start and you get 20-year-old
2: vines. I mean, it's only a hectare, but... If you start a business and you start from zero, it's much more complicated, of course. So I, I have to thank my family and, and my parents because they, they never sold these properties, you know? even if they lived uh, very far, because from Milano is about five hours drive, you know? Yeah, it's like to, to maintain your route, you know? So you go
0: back, and then what was it that you decided to make wine? I mean, obviously you had vines, but what
2: was the move there? What was the change? In Italy... And not only in Italy, probably all around the world, but especially in Italy, that was the time of the super Tuscans, of, uh, you know, the the great wine, super, super concentrated and uh, with a lot of winemaking, you know. And uh, the only real thing that I knew at the time about wine was, you know, how to taste it. I took some courses and and so uh, for me the wine world was something very 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 fancy very the fancy wine the all this kind of stuff and so what I what I did was to to take a winemaker and I bought some stuff for the cellar so we had these very old barrels and we, we took all uh, off from the cellar and we bought the uh, stainless steel, new uh, machines. And we began to make wine in the way that at the moment uh, we thought was the way. You know? I only had one low in mind that was, I want to be organic. To make something which is safe for people and for the nature, you know. So this was the, the first first step. But otherwise, of course, working with a winemaker, everything in the cellar was a little bit about cleaning everything, about control everything, about the, 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 you know, the fermentation with the right yeast. And, you know, what we, we know. We know... Uh, what winemaking is. And uh, so I started in, in this way. Did you like the taste of the wines? Yes, yes. The wines the wines were, were good and were authentic. I mean, the winemaker then, of course, became my friend, you know, and we stay. I, I also saw him yesterday, so he tasted my wine. What and,
0: did he say? Because I mean, your wines now are somewhat different.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we discussed it for many years about, you know, uh, winemaking, about uh, uh, wines. And so we are good friends. But at the moment, you know, I, I didn't know the alternative.
0: And so when did that alternative start to become clear? I mean, when did you start to see that there were some other options out there in terms of protocol, like how you could go about it?
2: When you, you make wine, then you have to sell it. And it was very shocking for me because it was like uh, being back in my old world. The idea was, okay, I left the bank where everybody is completely crazy selling, you know, stock options or selling, you know, making money with money. And now I'm here selling wines to people, which is crazy the same way. And, you know, which is the difference? You know? and so in uh, in those years i was a little bit in not in crisis but you know thinking what what's going on in your life you in mean, my life, like a life know? change yeah, yeah. Uh, i i found out that there was uh, something else and i think in 2002 and then in 2003 you know we, we began to to meet these people that basically were like like me small producers Focused on you know, uh, organic wines,
0: but from outside the market, though, yeah, yeah, at the beginning, yes, because yes. there's not so many kind of no, no, wine.
2: no, at that time, probably probably the only one was uh, Natalino Crognaletti from uh, Fattoria San Lorenzo, probably, and so we, we, we began to go to this small market. And uh, meeting many people, and many uh, wine growers also from France, where probably this movement was born. People from Beaujolais and stuff like that. Yeah, from Beaujolais, and then from Loire, and then from all over. And that was the moment when the, the book from uh, Nicolas Jolie was translated in Italy. And f- the moment when Josco Gravner began to work with the amphora. Uh, so it was... Like uh, revolution stuff, yeah. you know, everything was changing. And, uh, and in two or three years, you know, um, uh, I decided, I, I went to France to meeting some producers and I visit Marcel Lapierre um, and his wines were very shocking for me. And but also Pierre Breton and, and in Italy, of course, uh, Stefano Bellotti, Angelino Maule and, and many others. And so I began to to work about this way of uh, of winemaking, you know. And uh, so from two thousand and four, actually, we began with natural, uh, little bit of natural uh, fermentation, spontaneous fermentation. How did that work out for you? At the beginning was very um, what I was so I have so I had a fear, you know, really a fear because when. When the idea is to control everything, you know, going in a way where the idea is, no, you are completely free, you are, it's its really difficult, you know, because uh, every day you are there tasting, you know, during the fermentation, oh, there is a bad bacteria, <laughs> or, oh, the reduction, oh, the oxidation, you know, it's... It's difficult because it's like when you jump in the void. You don't know where you, you, you are going. So the f- first years were very, very tough. And also the discussions with the winemaker were very, with the analog, very tougher and tougher, you know, because I told him, OK, let's reduce the sulfate. Oh, no, you cannot reduce the sulfates okay let's uh, use less you know something oh no you cannot because otherwise uh, the malolactic is uh, this is uh, you know it's a continuous uh, battle but I found out that the wines had something new something deeper probably maybe the first vintages at, at that time were better you know, because when you change, you have to find your way. So probably I had in the middle, I have a couple, two or three vintages that are not really as as I wanted. But, you know, it, it was a learning by doing until I found out that everything could be more relaxed, more, you know, uh, easy. Easier. What were your parents like? Were they
0: relaxed people or were they more tack 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 people?
2: No, no, they uh, they worked all their all their life, uh, you know, uh, in very stressful uh, job, and and so no, they are, they were not
0: very relaxed. So this was kind of
2: like an opposite door
0: for you, kind of out of
2: family life too. They were very very um, worried. In a way, because of course, I was living a world that was, you know, uh, the world of uh, everything is st- stable, uh, the money comes, and you know, you can you can have a family, you can. <laughs> yeah. You know, no. And you
0: weren't married at the time.
2: Uh in two thousand and one, but kids came later. So So, there's
0: all kinds of life changes happening around the same time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But your wife was into it, the natural wine idea.
2: Oh, yes, completely. Even if she maintained uh, her job, she's completely part of La Distesa. She tastes and says... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah.
0: So that must be nice you can do it together, especially if you're having arguments with your own lug,
2: Yeah. you have
0: a partner of some kind. Yeah, (laughs) we
2: were two against one. Right, right. (laughs) What happens next in the story? Slower and slower. Of course, I started with one actor, and then I rent a little bit piece here, a little bit piece there. Uh, and so the 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 answer from the market was was good. Local market or export market? No, from the beginning was the export market. Yeah, because you have to consider that it was very very hard to sell. Uh, real traditional wines in uh, in the region, because in these last twenty years, everything has changed, and the taste of of people switched to new wines, you know wines that comes from a very strong winemaking. And so at the moment, people in the market region prefer you know the the new styles of Verdicchio or pecorino or even Montepulciano and Especially in, in the, for the white wines, it's very difficult to let understand people that this was the way that, you know, for 8,000 <laughs> of years, uh, wines was made. The anomaly is the current situation, yeah, not yeah. the... Yeah, exactly, no. exactly. And this is a, it's, it's kinda, it sounds strange because we have always to add a word uh, to the word wine. So it's a natural wine. It's a true wine. It's authentic wine. We make wine in the way human ever <laughs> made wines. You know, it's like you no know, having the organic certification. I pay for put you know uh, <laughs> green leaves on my label, but I pay. I pay that I'm working safe. Right. and and, and you know, but. Probably it's the other way that yeah. should pay, right. a like you know, yeah. a penalty, a tax, you know, a carbon tax, uh, something, you know, because they are making pollution <laughs> in in doing uh, an industrial farming, you know. Uh, but I, I, I don't want to make this you know fighting between the, the big and the small. You can be small and making uh, a very bad farming. You know, it's not about. Being big and small, it's about uh, making good wines and bad wines for me <laughs> at the end. And so the export markets that were supportive were? I have uh, to confess that at the beginning was very, very important. Yeah, And still now, still now. Now everybody is uh, looking to the, the export because nobody in Italy <laughs> drinks wine anymore. <laughs> the consumption is, you know, really falling.
0: So you started with a hectare of Verdicchio, but yeah. subsequently you started working with Trebbiano, Malvasia, yeah. and then red grape varieties.
2: Yeah. Trebbiano and Malvasia were there because the old vineyards were also complanted, planted you know, planted with different varieties. The pure Verdicchio, the Verdicchio 100% is something that comes from probably the last two decades.
0: Oh, really? So it's a fairly recent thing. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Before the the DOC law, which is uh, back to 1968, uh, Verdicchio was uh, was completely a blend of different grapes, different varieties. So Verdicchio was for sure the most important, but uh, there was in the blend Trebbiano, Malvasia, and also many other like, also, the Albana or, you know, Moscato was very different varieties. And then when, when the, the DOC came, they said, no, it had to be uh, at least 85% Verdicchio. The old vineyards maintain a little bit of Trebbiana Malvasia, but then in the last two decades, it's like 100% Verdicchio. With the new clones, which are being selected in the late, Eighties, first first years of the nineties. So, do you ever see those old bottles in the cellars of the market? Like, do you ever open up old wines from? No, North? no. It's very difficult to find something because at the time, you know, Verdicchio was a very popular wine, very very popular. The amphora with,
0: bottles, like that kind of yeah, Verdicchio. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. And probably with Chianti uh, in the sixties, uh, was the most popular wine uh, abroad. You know. White was the Verdicchio and red was the Chianti. But it was a very easy, very, very easy wine. Uh, something for pizzeria, for uh, the summer, but without any chance to age. And this probably is the reason why in the 70s and the 80s, it came a very big crisis. Because the image of the variety and of the wine was very, very, very low. So... Uh, Prices were low and people were leaving the region uh, and all the vineyards were cut off.
0: But that gave you an opportunity, right? Because you could come in and get old vines, either rent or buying them.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. It was an opportunity, but in another way, we lost a big, big heritage, you know, a big, big heritage. Because, for example, my old vineyard is 36 years old. It's not an old vineyard, but it is an old vineyard. It's almost impossible to find a vineyard that has more than 40, 45 years in my region now. And this is a, an, a, an incredible uh, you know, uh, damage, an incredible problem because only an old vineyard can express the soil, the, the climate, the terroir. And this probably is why we are focusing so much on the variety. You know, you say Verdicchio and it's easier. But it's, for me, it's not the right way to communicate, you know, the region and the, the terroir you are, uh, you are living in.
0: So you're saying that the vines don't have the roots down into the terroir to express it, really? Yeah,
2: yeah. So what is the place like? I mean, what is the topography yeah. climate? I am in uh, Coupa Montana, which is 500 meters. The top, the villages. The top of the hill, and all the vineyards are on the slopes, north, south, and uh, so you may find vineyards with very different, you know, expositions and altitude, from 100 meters to 450 meters uh, in north exposition or south exposition, and uh, so this it's very important to communicate this, but nobody knows it no everybody think that Verdicchio is one thing monolith. one thing and and also ge- geologically it's very interesting because it's it's not all the same basically the the hills were under the sea level between 5 millions and 13 millions of years ago and so the adriatic sea made some you know regressions and movements uh, many different times and, and left these sediments of clay, of uh, sandstones, And so uh, there are some differences in the area. The big one, of course, is Matelica is different from Castelli di Iesi, especially in the climate. Matelica is much more inside the mountain, so it's much more uh, cold area. And Castelli di Iesi, it's much more uh, Mediterranean wine. Closer to the sea, and uh, but also geologically, there are some difference.
0: I can see that because it kind of reminds you of those like Cassi, like from the south of France, kind of Mediterranean whites, that yeah. kind of flavors of the yeah the yellow, but the scrub brush, that kind of thing. You know, yeah. in yeah. in Verdicchio, I think yeah, yeah, of course, yeah.
2: But as I, as I told you before, uh, there is not a big focus on that. Until now, probably it will be, I don't know. But uh, my idea is that it's, it's very easy focusing to the variety and all the world probably think about Italy. But Italian wines like only the variety and less about the places, the crew, the, the, the vineyard. Speaking to
0: many Italian vintners, I've often found that they don't bring up the soil type unless you ask them. Like, mm-hmm. like if you say, oh, what kind of soil is this? They'll say like, oh, Kilcar," but that's not the first thing they talk about. Usually, I mean, it's a yeah. big country. There's a lot they of people, completely true, and, yeah. you know, yeah. whereas I think in France, uh, yeah. you know, sometimes you see it on the labels, you know, granite or, you know, Yeah.
2: I don't want to be misunderstood. I mean, for me, it's a very, it's a very good thing to have all these original varieties, you know, because you want to taste Pecorino, you you have to come to the Marca region, you know. But the problem is that if you focus only on the variety, if you ask to 10 people, not only in the States or in France or in Germany, but also in Italy, where are the Marca region? Probably eight... Or nine, they don't know where is the region. <laughs> but probably they have drunk uh, Pecorino and they, they know about the variety, which is strange.
0: The Marque. what's kind of interesting about it is that on one side you have Abruzzo, right? Yeah. And on the other side you have the sea. Yeah. And you get storms from both sides, right? Like sometimes storms come through Abruzzo and go to the Marque, but mostly they come from the sea. Yeah. How does that affect the harvest pattern?
2: It's very interesting to... Think about that. You look at the map of uh, Europe and you see the left part, look in the map, so the Tyrrhenian Sea, and the Mediterranean Sea, uh, with the islands, you know, Sardinia and, and Corsica, and it's all about red wine. You know? So Sangiovese and Grenache and Syrah and... Uh, Garnaccia, Canonao, you know, it's really about the red. If you look at the, the right part, so the Adriatic Sea, it's like a community which is focused on the white wines. You know, there is Trebbiano d'Abruzzo in Abruzzo, there is Precorino, Verdicchio, Albana in Romagna, and then you go up and you, you go to Carso, you have, of course, Prosecco, you have, and then the Friuli, so, you know, Tokai Frulano and the Sauvignon and then the Malvasistriana and then all the original variety in Croatia are mainly on white, you know. And this is, this is cool for me because Express, really, that climate, it's completely different. And uh, we have the heat waves coming from Africa that goes through Sicily to Sardinia and then to south of France and, of course, Tuscany. And we have the cold winds coming from the Balkans, from in winter from Siberia, you know, coming down and in just in front, they find the Marche, Abruzzo, you know. And so all this to say that we had been a very cold region until probably 15 20 years ago and this is the reason why the, the white wines were so so good and so so well known
0: so you don't think it's like there's a strip of underlying soil that goes down that side like limestone on that side or
2: something uh, no because you may find the same the same almost the same soil also in lange i mean the adriatic sea used to arrive until uh, lange you know During the Miocene era and then the Pliocene era, there was sea until the Alps, you know? And over there, of course, they they make red lines. (laughs) So it's much more about the the climate, about the the cold winds, about the temperature a little bit lower. For example, in January, it snows very, very often, in the Marque region, it's very difficult that you see snow in Tuscany. You know? There are two, three degrees of difference, always.
0: The Marque has a, like a high degree of state-mandated parks, right? Like there's uh, yeah. forest preserves and yeah. parks, yeah. wild animals.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially in the south, but near, close to Abruzzo, there, are, there is a, this beautiful, beautiful park, which is called the Sibillini Park Mountains. Uh, but also in another, another, another area close to the Apennines, and there is this other beautiful park, which is uh, the Conero Park, which is right in the middle of the sea, and uh, it's a mountain that goes down to the sea, and it's pretty famous for wine, which is the Rosso Conero.
0: So that means it's not just a monoculture, right? Like it's not, you're not just walking into vines after vines after vines. There's some mixed things going on. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. You don't look so many vineyards if you come in the back region. A lot of cereals, a lot of uh, olive oil, a lot of uh, animals. It's an heritage from a sharecropping, you know?
0: So it's like a brutzo but closer to the water. Yeah, yeah. And maybe yeah. lower in elevation. Samples. Yeah,
2: exactly. We don't have the, you know, the uh, Grand Sasso, which is almost 3,000 meters high. And so when did you start to really like your own wines? I mean, I, I was in love with the 2004. That was my first, first vintage. But of course, it wasn't perfect. It was, uh, was a very good vintage. So maybe it was, it was good for me because of, of the vintage but then probably 2010 was, was uh, the first vintage that I really really understood that my way was found are those both cooler years yeah 10 for sure was uh, I mean it's, it's strange because we are talking now about cool vintage and if you see the statistics they are still above the average. <laughs> so it means that really, really we had a, a switched, completely changed in the climate in the, in the area. So we consider cold vintage like the, the 10 or the 2004, which were cool, but completely normal if you see the, the average. <laughs> But we had, you know, 7, 3, uh, 11, 12 uh, that were completely out of the average. You know,
0: and 15 also. When I think about the kinds of things you were saying earlier about the people that were interesting to you, I mean, usually when people express those kind of interests, they also experiment a little with skin contact or maybe have some clay in the cellar. Or Were those ideas that you had at some point?
2: You know, it's very, it's very easy to uh, to fall in this uh, misunderstanding, which is, uh, oh, I I make natural wines, so my wines should be strange, should be well, orange, should be you know uh, fermented in in clay or in strange stuff. For me, it's not about that. It's simply about making good wines. And, uh, so I didn't really, I mean, I experimented a lot, but I never, uh, thought that the way was make it strange, you know, make it completely, there is, for me, there is always a tradition. There is always a line that you, you must follow. You know? So for me, it's making a good wine, uh, having respect of a tradition and having respect of the terroir. That's my way. And so you have the three grape varieties that
0: are white that you grow, and how do they express themselves differently, and when do you decide to blend them together or not?
2: I make three whites at the moment, and the first one is a verdicchio with a small quota of uh, trebbiano, And there was not really a decision in doing that, but it was only that the vineyards had the in originally planted there. And the reason why the other wines, the Reserva, is uh, 100% Verdicchio is strange, but it's only because it's an old vineyard, but the part that was not planted with uh, Verdicchio was planted with Sangiovese. So when we harvest that vineyard, of course, we only take the white, the white. You know? So this is the reason why it's 100% of ridiculous. And then there is a third white, which is an orange wine. And I decided to make this wine because, of course, at the beginning, I told you, you know, there was this big revolution and I was tasting all these orange wines from Slovenia, especially from Slovenia but then from Georgia. And I tried with Verdicchio. And I have a couple of years where I made a long maceration with Verdicchio, but the wine it was not good. So in, I never released that on, on the market. I was not convinced about the wine. And then I tried with Trebbiano. And Trebbiano is, uh, is a strange animal because... Uh, It gives probably one of the most beautiful wine uh, on planet Earth, which is uh, Valentini Trebbiano d'Abruzzo. But is that Uh, the same Trebbiano that you have? No, no, it's different. Okay, it's different. Uh, Because there's like many, right? Yeah, yeah, there are many. It's, it's. uh, But at the same time, Trebbiano gives probably the worst grape for the worst cooperative. You know, in a way, it's like Sangiovese. You can make. (laughs) <laughs> or the best Brunello di Montalcino and the worst begging box, and so which is the difference? Probably terroir, probably the soil, probably you know the way you work, the way you make farming, you know. And so it was it was interesting for me trying with Trebbiano, and so the third wine is basically is a 60% Trebbiano with a little bit of Verdicchio and Malvasia. And I must confess that Trebbiano, I, I felt in love with Trebbiano variety. And the, the last vineyard I planted was mainly Trebbiano. And, but what kind of Trebbiano are you planting? Is it? Oh, basically, we, we, we can plant Trebbiano Toscano. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There is a list of uh, variety that are uh, you know, allowed to be planted in the region. And uh, there is not Trabiano da so, and not, for example, you can plant Malvasia Tuscana, but not Malvasia uh, uh, Istriana, which is strange because uh, the Croatian <laughs> is closer to market than Tuscany. That's some part of, of Tuscany. <laughs> so it's kind of, uh, it's the same. You can you can uh, buy a Marca Bianco IGT, but Riesling or Chardonnay. But you cannot buy a Marche Bianco IGT Verdicchio or Pecorino because they uh, are protected uh, in the DOP, in the DOC. So it's confusing. <laughs> so was there ever a tradition like
0: in Tuscany of blending red grapes and white grapes together like how it used to be for Chianti? Did that ever happen with?
2: Not in Cooper, Montana. The red wine was really residual especially after 1968. There was a red wine, but a red wine was consumed very, very young. In November, December, January, in the first winter, with a very, very short maceration, like a very easy, easy wine, like a novello, without the technique of novello, of course, without the maceration, carbonic maceration, but It was a very easy, easy wine. And the white was the wine that people uh, used to uh, drink after one year or more. I still feel like there's that divide with Marque
0: Reds where it's either a straightforward one or a really, really complex, a lot of wood kind of one. You know, it's like the really straightforward, cheap Rosso Conoro or Nera, And then the one that's like got the special label that's not... Yeah, cheap. You know what yeah. I mean? It's meant to be like serious. I think
2: we are still working on, uh, on the red in the region. Because I'm, I'm sure we can, we can do beautiful red wines. And I'm focusing a lot on, on, on red wines in the last five, six years. I planted more vineyard, red vineyards than white vineyard, But I think we have a lot to understand.
0: So do you plant the red vineyards at different exposures and different elevations? No. I, I
2: planted close to the white vineyards, But my idea is that because of the global warming, probably we are becoming more and more an area, not only for red wine, of course, but less for white wines and more for red wines. Season are, are changing dramatically. So, If I
0: think of white grapes that have red wine characters, like if I had my eyes closed and I tasted one, I could sometimes confuse a certain kind of radicchio or a certain kind of Trebbiano with a red wine. Yeah. Like it has that kind of structure to it one way or another.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think if you pour it in a black glass, sometimes you can, you can be confused. So how
0: does it work with things like yields? You said you're kind of forsaking the modern style, Mm -hmm. you know, but one of the things of that controlled modern style is often to do the green harvest and Mm -hmm. and drop fruit and get more deeper yields. Are you doing the green harvest and dropping fruit or what okay. are you
2: doing? All that kind of stuff. You have to do that because you made errors before. This is my, my point, my idea. Probably you didn't make a, a right planting at the beginning or you made a lot of fertilization or uh, maybe the pruning were, was not correct. When you have a vineyard which is balanced, you don't have to make a green a big work on the uh, on the green harvest or especially if you have old vineyards. Well,
0: that definitely makes sense. That the older yeah. vines would do yeah. get less yields. Are they head trained or are they on wires?
2: We we have very high it's not like Abruzzo, we don't have pergola, but we have like one meter and a half, maybe more, of leaves. On wire. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the only, the only vineyard that is a little bit, we, we call alberello, you know, it's the red one that I planted in 2009. But it's, it's completely uh, something new in the region. Why did you decide to do that? Because again, uh, if you plant a vineyard today, you have to think what happens in 30 years or 40 years. And so more and more will be like Puglia or Sicily in the future, in the next future. So, so we have to you know, reduce the water stress. And that's a way. What kind of fruit are
0: you getting from that vineyard now?
2: The albarella one? Montepulciano, San Giovese, and Vernaccia Nera. But I mean, what's the quality of the fruit? Oh, great. Uh, yeah? Yeah, I have to say, yeah, uh, I mean, I planted in 2009, so I've seen fruit in very, very dry season like 2012, and and in very, very humid and rainy season like 2014, and I must confess that I was really impressed about the reaction of the, of the vineyards and the quality of the fruit. And it's something that I found out sp- speaking a lot with Giovanna Morganti in Castelnuovo Bernardenga.
0: And that's kind of her signature,
2: that style. Yeah. yeah. So what did she tell you when you talked about it? Because I've never met her. I mean, I tasted her uh, 2002, for example, which was a difficult year in Tuscany and was great great so the reaction of the vine uh, is, uh, is beautiful so for me Montepulciano
0: and Vernaccia Nero seem like kind of opposites hmm what are they like in the vineyard
2: like for the white in the Marche region we we didn't have a story of a variety that was completely predominant we had always mixed varieties for a wine but in, in the last years everyone went through you know the 100% Montepulciano in the south and the other percent of Sangiovese in the north which is cool but for me you it's riskful because because we are a region with a lot of different season it's difficult to balance the wine you know through the years you have to consider that there is Almost one month, not one month, but 20 days of uh, difference in the ripeness between Sangiovese and Montepulciano. Uh, That's a pretty serious amount of time. Yeah. For example, in 2013, I harvested the Sangiovese, it was 25 of September, and the Montepulciano, it was 18 October. It's a long time, you know. And Nera, it's it's very late, like the Monte Pulciano. It's very, very late. And uh, it's, uh, it's a strange variety. I, I, I cannot say to, to know very well because uh, you have to consider that Vernaccia Nera now is cultivated like uh, 50 kilometers from the Castelli di Iesi in Macerata, around Macerata. It's the, the variety of Vernaccia di Serra Petrona. So I planted, I replanted the Vernaccia because we made uh, an historical study where we found out that Vernaccia was planted in 200 years ago also in Ancona, near Ancona, Castelli di Iesi. So the idea for me is to balance all this stuff. So the acidity of the Sangiovese, the color of the Montepulciano, the green tannins of the Vernaccia It's a very... Raw uh, stuff, Vernaccianera. It's really like a wild horses, you know. <laughs> and you have to to find out the way. Very, very animal, you know, very spicy. And Sometimes people dry it, right? Some people. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Is there any tradition of that around where you are? No, no, no. But the reason, I, I think the reason why Vernaccia di Serra Petrona is a sparkling wine that comes from. Dried, you know, grape is that uh, Vernaccia is a very late variety, and Serra Petrona is a very small village in the mountains with all woods around. So it's very difficult to have uh, the perfect ripeness of Vernaccia over there. So the only way is to uh, dry it a little bit. And to manage the high acidity with the making a sparkling wine, no? So you have sweetness that cover a little bit the the acidity, and you have the sparkling that gives some bubbles to the... Freshness. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little bit like Lambrusco, I guess. Oh. The idea of making... I guess, but it seems different. Like more Yeah, it is completely different. More My, I mean, the idea. Right, right, you know, right. The right. idea
0: of the wine. But it seems more wild somehow, usually. And yeah. like the textures are different. Yeah. yeah. But I've had some non-sparkling ones that were
2: good too. I was I was curious because uh, for me it can give uh, a a touch to to the wine, you know, like this spicy, this uh, this green stuff that you can taste that refresh a little bit the Pulciano, which it's very very you know powerful and. Uh,
0: Speaking about green stuff, do you ever do like whole cluster and use stems? Or?
2: I've changed a, a lot the vinification with the red and especially with the other red that I, I make. The easy one, I mean, which is Montepulciano Sangiovese. There is a 5% of Cabernet Sauvignon. That was my, my first mistake <laughs> I made in 1999, was actually, but it's only one row, <laughs> it was an experiment. Mainly the wine is 95% San Giovese and Montepulciano. And in that wine, uh, I use more and more, you know, the entire grape to give a little bit of freshness. And, uh, and I love this this green side that, that comes from. Do
0: Vernaccia, Nera or Montepulciano give high sugars? Montepulciano for sure, yeah,
2: yeah. Vernachinera um, no. I mean it depends because I'm still trying to understand it. So it's like, you know, when you go out the first date and you're still to understand. You're curious if there's gonna be sugar or not? <laughs> yeah. I see. Yeah, I think I do
0: know that feeling. <laughs> yeah.
2: I'm still trying to 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 learn about red wine. And uh they say it's easier to make red wine. And this probably is true. But it's very difficult to make good red wines. <laughs> what about leaves? Do you leave it
0: uh, either the red or the white on leaves? Yeah, for long yeah, time? yeah. Kind of crucial to your style for white, I think.
2: Yeah, uh, I think it's very important. If, if you work well at the beginning, uh, all you, you get from the fermentation is good. And so it should stay until the bottling, for me, this is my, my opinion. Oh, so basically you rack onto bottle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, many people, they, they change from here, from this tank to the other. To it's like you know, a continued process of clarification. I leave the, the wine dirty, completely dirt until the bottling.
0: In terms of the press, are you doing much with press wine or no?
2: It depends a little bit with, uh, with the, the kind of uh, vintage it has been, you know, because after the maceration, the skin could be very, you know, very bad, very destroyed, completely gone. And so it's better, you know, you press and you take it for home. <laughs> but sometimes there is still something that you, you can extract. So it, it it depends. It's something, you know, my winemaking is something really sensitive. It's really, uh, I, I, you know, I taste, it's something really being with, with the food in the, <laughs> in, the, uh, in the ground, you know. And that's the fun part for you. Probably. Yeah, yeah, it's completely, it's completely, it's a poetry, you know, it's like create something. And so you've been doing it the way that
0: you want to do it, at least for white, for about 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. So the next 10 years, what do you think might happen? Because it's been a lot of changes in the time that
2: you've been there already. You know what? I, I'm never satisfied. So this is a problem. It's, a, it's my character. You know? It's my, my way of being. So uh, I'm trying to to experiment. So now we have this rosé which is uh not a, rose, a real rosé is a blend of uh, white and red grape made at, you know the ancient way <laughs> and uh, and it's a uh, new stuff, you know. So uh I think the idea is to become more and more like a rural community, you know. I think you cannot only uh make Wine. I mean, we we also make olive oil. We make cereals, uh, and so the idea is to we 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 have a music festival that it's a big happening in end of June usually, and uh, I mean the the idea is like making uh, a community of people that loves. Um, wines, but also culture, you know, culture and art and music. And so connecting people, making something that usually happened only in the big cities. In my region, the young people, they left, you know, the the region because they wanted to study and to, to live in the big cities and to go to cinemas, to theaters, you know, to live a, an active life, you know, but now you, we can do this also in the countryside, and more and more, I think that the chance for the future is transform the city in a way, in a place where you can make farming, you know, like like in New York City. I know that there are places, park or or houses where you can, you know, cultivate tomatoes or something else and, and making the you know something which is typical of the big cities like festivals like artistic performance in the countryside so this relation between the city and, and the countryside for me it's really a challenge
0: Corrado Dottori would like to connect people with wine thank you very much for being here today thank you, thank you very much Crotter of La Distessa in the Marche of Italy. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs... This episode was made possible by VinItaly, the
1: world's largest wine fair, held each year in Verona, Italy.